Glad that you're here. Glad that you found us. And so thank you for some of you who went to Head Hall and then you saw the sign and uh, you made your way here. So thanks for making the extra effort. As Keith said, we'll be back there next week. My name's Joe Crummy, one of the elders here of Christ Central. I'm going to be speaking this morning from Matthew chapter 9. And just to uh, remind you that next Sunday, uh, Kevin and I are going to be in Vancouver. We leave on Wednesday. So we're going out for six days to be with Reese and Sarah Scott and Trinity Central Church, and we're going to be able to help them and to be with them, and we're looking forward to seeing them. James and Liesel, who used to be in our church, uh, have moved to uh, Vancouver, and they're part of that church, so it's going to be great to see James and Liesel again. And uh, we, again, just ask for your prayers as we go this week, that we'd be a blessing and hopefully give some good input and to be able to be with them and to uh, be together. So we're looking forward to that. Um, Tim's going to be uh, doing some video uh, taping this morning, so don't let that distract you, and I'll try not to run into things if I get distracted by him as well. So he's doing some uh, work for us that uh, we need some video from different things in the future, so uh, Tim's going to be helping us out with that one. All right, so if you have your Bibles with you, Matthew chapter 9, and if you remember last week, we picked up the story of Jesus, and man, just reading through Matthew is pretty incredible. I mean, Jesus really is amazing when you just read the stories of who he was and what he did, and uh, we spent a lot of time just talking about the authority of Jesus' teaching as we went through the Sermon on the Mount, and then we begin to see Jesus in action, and him out backing up his authority of his teaching with his action and with his deeds, recognizing that he is the Son of God, that he's the King that has come to redeem his people. He's ushering in a whole new kingdom, and he has power and authority from God to do it, because he's doing things only God can do. And so he brings healing. And last week we picked up the story of him healing the paralytic, but also being like God and saying that your sins are forgiven. So that's where we're going to pick up the story again today, and we're going to look at some other sort of unexpected things uh, that Jesus brings. So let's read it together. We're going to start back at verse 1, just to, again, get the picture of what we're going for. And it says, In getting into a boat, he, that's Jesus, crossed over and came to his own city, and behold, some people brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. And behold, some of the scribes said to themselves, This man is blaspheming. But Jesus, knowing their, heart, their thoughts, said, Why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He then said to the paralytic, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and went home. And when the crowd saw it, they were afraid, and they glorified God, who had given such authority to men. So this is the new part for this week. And as Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew, sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as Jesus reclined at table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, that's Jesus, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Then the disciples of John came to him, saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, 
Can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. No one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, but the patch tears away from the garment, and a worse tear is made. Neither is new wine put into old wineskins. If it is, the skins burst, and the wine is spilled, and the skins are destroyed, but new wine is put into fresh wineskins, and so both are preserved. All right, can you just imagine now, again, the scenario. Jesus has done this incredible teaching, and now Jesus is in action. So he's healing people, he's casting out demons, he's doing all these things, people are seeing him in action, his claims are there that he is different from all other teachers, and you would expect that, and certainly the people in his day expected this, Jesus is now kind of going on mission, and he's going to bring some people with him, and you would think, after all these things, who do you think Jesus would call to come and be with him? So I think if you can kind of put yourself in, you say, if you were on a recruiting trip and you were looking at resumes, who would you take with you? And I think we'd, something like this, maybe some of the best rabbis of Jesus' day. So some of the, maybe the best scholars of Jesus' day. These Pharisees who obeyed every little dot of the law, who were separated from everybody else just to be followers of God. You would think Jesus maybe might start with them. And Jesus does something totally unexpected. And his very first call, someone to follow him, is Matthew. Now, we might not understand sort of the magnitude of the shock and the scandal to the religious people of Jesus' day that Jesus would call Matthew to come and follow him. Because you have to understand in the context, Matthew was a very hated man by the Jewish people. And as you remember, the Jewish people were under sort of slavery from the Roman Empire, and Matthew was a tax collector, which meant he was Jewish, yet he worked for the Roman government. So he was a traitor. And not only a traitor, he was a rich traitor, because he got his money off overcharging. That's what sort of tax collectors did. They were just full of corruption in Jesus' day. I said in Jesus' day. I won't say today, but in Jesus' day. And they can't believe that Matthew, who probably has seen Jesus and probably heard some of these things and seen him in action, the scandal of Matthew being called by Jesus to come and to follow him. Now, there's some lessons right from the start for those of us who maybe would consider ourselves Christian, maybe who consider ourselves, in a sense, uh, religious, if that, you can use that in a good sort of way, that we have to be careful that we don't get into our heads and into our hearts that some people are maybe too far from God or that God wouldn't be interested in certain types of people and we have to have a bit of a reality check that we need to let it sink in right from the beginning that Jesus can call whoever Jesus wants to. And we need to maybe take a minute and just think about who are the Matthews, the Matthews in our day, that it's kind of hard to find an equivalent because here in Canada we're not in a you know, sort of same situation. But you can probably think of some people that maybe are your enemies. And maybe it's somebody even within your family. It certainly could be a boss or a co-worker. Maybe it's some people that you would think, you know what, like there's just no way that Jesus would either call this person, even be interested in this person. 
Who are the Matthews that you might classify in your brain or in your heart? And as I was thinking about this week, and this could be for someone here this morning, you might even think that about yourself. That maybe you classify yourself as a Matthew. That maybe, hey, God loves everybody else, and God might be interested in everybody else, but God would never be interested in me. And I know all the things I've done wrong, and I know how far I am, and all those things, you might disqualify yourself all the way. Okay? And the good news this morning is this, and Matthew's living proof, okay? that God knows who you are, that Jesus still cares and is concerned about you, and Jesus is all about calling the unexpected people. Okay? So we'll just say that right at the beginning. Okay? That applies for us who may judge other people okay, and think, man, there's just no way that God could ever do anything with them or even want to do anything with them. You might even say that about yourself. And Jesus breaks that sort of mindset by calling Matthew to come and to follow him. And Matthew did. It's really quite amazing that Matthew did that. And that sort of leads on to the next thing that Jesus talks about, is that Jesus, again, reveals his purpose. Jesus saying, I haven't come just for the good people, just for the religious people, because that's what the Pharisees expected. The Pharisees were a whole sort of religious group that obeyed the law of God, and they thought this. They thought, when the Messiah comes, when our Redeemer comes, this is what he's going to do. He's going to crush the sinners. He's going to crush those who don't love God, who maybe don't obey the law. And they classified sinners as those who maybe had public sins. Okay? Some sins are more obvious than others. They would classify sinners. They even had a separate category for tax collector. They wouldn't even add tax collector to sinners. It had its own category. You sit with tax collectors and sinners. That was an obvious one. But they also went after a lot of the common folk who maybe didn't live up to the exact okay, law of everything in the Old Testament, every purification thing. Okay, those, if you didn't do those things, you were classified as a sinner. And the Pharisees thought, when the Messiah comes, when the king comes, he's going to smash, he's going to crush the sinners, and he's going to pat on the back and applaud the righteous. He's going to applaud those who obeyed the law. And Jesus comes. You can see how the Pharisees were so frustrated with Jesus. Hey, wait a minute, Jesus. I thought you came to tell us we're doing a great job. And actually, you know what you're doing? You're hanging out with sinners. What's the deal? And they didn't really have courage enough to ask Jesus, but they asked his disciples. And Jesus is very clear. Just as a doctor goes to those who are sick, Jesus has come for those who are far from God. That's Jesus' purpose and his mission and his vision. And we're going to see, as you read along in Matthew, all kinds of other people have all kinds of other agendas for the Messiah, but Jesus is very focused on his agenda and his purpose and his mission. I have come to, as a doctor, go to the sick. And it gets into a whole other thing of, who are the sick? And folks, here's a really, 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 really important point. Okay. When it comes to why Jesus came. And we talked about sin last week. And yes, it's not obeying God's law. It's being in rebellion to God. It's saying no to God when he asks you to say yes to. There's all kinds of things. And in Jesus' day, they followed all kinds of ceremonial laws and 
all these things that they had to get right before God. But the Pharisees, who kept all those things, thought they had enough good works from their own standing that they were right with God. And Jesus comes and he introduces a radical new thing. And he's saying this, Hey, you religious people, you who think you can get right with God by doing good, guess what? You're as far from God as those who you judge, who you know are far from God. And that's a radical thing. Because the Pharisees judged everyone else, and they stood off, and they were, in their own pride, very proud of how they obeyed the law. And they thought, Jesus is going to applaud us. Pharisees, man, you guys are the best. You guys are doing such a great job. Man, I've come, and I just want to hang out with you guys because you guys are right with God by your own good works. Well done. And Jesus is saying, you don't even know that you're sick. And I think that could be a dangerous, more dangerous place than those of you who know that you are sick. And in the medical world, Nobody wants to hear bad news. Nobody wants to hear you say, hey, we know that you're sick. But better to find out so that you can do something about it than to go on not knowing that you have some sort of disease that is actually killing you on the inside. And Jesus has come to say, as a doctor, we're all sick. We all have this thing called sin that separates us from God. And even though... And it leads into the next point. Okay? Jesus is talking about this. Even though you might be doing all the right things, but on the inside, okay, you're not doing them for the right reasons. And that gets into pride and humility. Okay? We have to humble ourselves. And we see this even, and men, we're terrible at it, aren't we? Even in the medical world. Okay? We don't even want to go to the doctor. Okay? We don't even want to admit that we're sick okay all man cold jokes aside all right we don't even want to go to a doctor to even find out if we're sick or even when we are sick to find out what we need to do about it why because most of it is pride and in a bit of a similar way okay jesus is saying you have to understand this whole thing called sin that it affects both who you think are terrible people and sinners but it also affects you who are religious and who are trying to keep God's law. And Jesus says to this, he actually says to the Pharisees, I've got a question for you, okay? You need to research this. Go and find out about this. And he quotes Hosea chapter 6, verse 6. He says, go and find out this, what it means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. And if you go to the Old Testament book of Hosea, you can find there in the Old Testament, people in that day were far from God. Their hearts weren't seeking God at all. God had had enough of them, but guess what they kept doing? They kept doing all the right things regarding the temple. So they kept doing all the sacrifices. They kept obeying all the different things. And God's saying, I had enough! And he's trying to get their attention, saying, the sacrifice part isn't it! You can go jump through all the hoops. You can go through all the things. You can tick all the boxes, but your hearts aren't for me. And God's saying, I want love. Okay? I don't want just ritual. I want love. I want that steadfast covenantal love that your hearts 
are for me. I desire a heart relationship, not just ritual. Because anybody can do ritual. Anybody can go through, even if they don't know God, they can jump through all the hoops that a religious person does and tick all the boxes, but that doesn't mean they've got a heart or that they know God. So when Jesus calls, okay, he brings to light, he's calling not just the obvious sinner, tax collector, whoever in our world we might think is a horrible person, God couldn't love them, they're so far gone, maybe we judge them, maybe we just even don't want to go near them. That's who Jesus went for. But Jesus, in his mercy, is also saying this, hey, you religious folk, okay, you who judge others, be careful. Be careful because you need a savior just as much as those okay, who don't obey my law and who are far from me. You who are religious, you do all the right things, but your heart's not in it. You are as far away from me and you need a savior just as much as those that you think are far out there. So folks, in our day and in our time, okay, that's pretty applicable okay, within the church in North America that we can think, and I'll just speak as part of church, we can think we're doing all the right things, we're ticking all the right boxes, we don't do this, we do do that, and we can think subconsciously, even we don't even mean to, a lot of times, but the fair, that whole spirit of judging others and thinking that on our own merit, we're right with God and we're better than others, that can pervade church. And that's what church can be known for. And we can get prideful instead of being humble. And we can go through ritual instead of being full of loving God. So that's a warning for us. When I say us as church, okay, that's a warning for us from Jesus to say, we need a savior just as much as anybody else. So Jesus calls unexpected people. And he does the same thing today. He calls unexpected people. He keeps surprising people. Okay? And this leads into the second thing. So we have Jesus calling unexpected people. We also have this. Jesus comes up with another unexpected claim. He says this. And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and they will fast. And this is interesting. I just think it's kind of funny, really, in a way. Because, get this, John the Baptist's disciples come, just as the Pharisees were questioning Jesus, John the Baptist's disciples come, and they say this, um, Jesus, we, John's disciples, we fast, and the Pharisees fast, but your guys don't, so w what are we doing? <laughs> and I think that's so evident, even in North American Christianity. If we stop sometimes, we can say, um, Jesus, we do all these things, but we don't even really know why we're doing them. And church life is like that. I don't know how many people I've met who go to different churches, and you can try to explain about maybe baptism or communion or whatever it might be, and people do it, and they go through it, but when you ask them, why do you do those things, a lot of times people say, I don't really know. That's just how I grew up. That's part of my family. That's my tradition. And so a lot of people can do a lot of religious things and not know why they're doing them. And John the Baptist and the Pharisees are going like, yeah, 
how come we fast and you don't? And Jesus answers them really with this unique claim. Again, we might miss sort of the magnitude of the sort of analogy that he uses. And Jesus introduces this whole thing of the bridegroom. Now, folks, in the Old Testament, there are many passages that God refers to himself as the bridegroom. So you've got to remember, Jesus is, again, he's hooking on to another word, another understanding of connecting God in the Old Testament with Jesus, I am God. And we read this in the Old Testament, in Isaiah 62, 5. And as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. Hosea 2.16. And in that day, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband. And do you remember even John the Baptist? John 3, the end of John 3. After John 3.16, we go on, and Jesus says, sorry, John the Baptist says this about Jesus. It's like Jesus is the bridegroom. And John's like, I'm the best man. But I must decrease and he must increase. He even uses that analogy. So it's interesting that Jesus, to John's disciples, would use the word bridegroom. He's connecting this whole thing of I'm the bridegroom and while I'm here, it's really like a party. And the disciples are like the guests who've been invited to the party. And folks, this is an amazing analogy that sometimes we can lose, again, the magnitude of this. The kingdom of God, Jesus is saying, with him as the bridegroom, it's like this. It's like a wedding party. Now, we've been blessed here at our church because every year for the last several years, we've had lots of weddings, okay? And they are, we got, wow, I'm just trying to figure out my summer schedule because I got like five weddings (laughs) coming up this summer. And it's great. And every wedding is special and it's incredible and it's full of joy and it's full of celebration and it's full of life. And a lot of times it's full of dancing, it's full of food, it's full of fun, fellowship. It's a party. And Jesus is saying, the bridegroom is here. He's entering in a whole new thing. It's full of life. It's like a wedding party. Now, I don't know how many of you, because our weddings are pretty good, okay? And we have pretty good times afterwards, and it's lots of fun. And we get some interesting dance moves from some people. And it's, you know, you see a lot from a different side of people in uh, that sort of setting. Now, have any of you ever been to a Jewish wedding? Because a Jewish wedding makes the whole us trying to do, you know, the whole dance mix four sort of thing really pale in comparison. Okay, I went to a Jewish wedding several years ago, and I was like blown away. Okay, it was at the Rebecca Cohn Auditorium at Dalhousie. The Nova Scotia Symphony was there. There was a choir. It was all music from like Fiddler on the Roof and everything. It was incredible. (laughs) And let me tell you, it was a party. And it was full of life and excitement and dancing and feasts. And it lasted a long time. And it was like incredible. And folks, that's a snapshot. That's a picture of the kingdom of God. Because Jesus is ushering in something new that's full of life. And Jesus is saying, hey, the bridegroom coming, and this is what's so important to understand, is that Old Testament, and God set it up, so you have to follow me on this one. It's not that Jesus is trashing the old. Jesus is more and more saying, I'm fulfilling the old. Because I'm fulfilling it, I can bring in something 
new. So he's saying in the Old Testament, yes, you had to follow all these requirements. And Jesus has just proven. Again, we don't understand everything Jesus has just done. Okay, In the Old Testament, there were all these things that you couldn't do because that would make you unclean, and therefore you couldn't come before God. You couldn't touch a dead body because then you had to wash yourself, and for seven days you had to go outside the camp and all these things, and you were unclean and defiled, and you had to wait, and then you had to come back in. You couldn't touch a leper. You couldn't touch all these different... You couldn't touch a dead animal. You couldn't do all these things. And the Pharisees obeyed all those things, and a lot of the common folk didn't, and they were classified as sinners because of it. And if we go back in chapter 8 and in chapter 9, you look at all the things Jesus did, he totally broke all the rules. Because if you go on in chapter 9, this is what happens. Jairus comes, with his, and he says, okay, my servant, my daughter's sick, going to die. Jesus comes, dead. And what does Jesus do? He's near a dead person, which makes him uncleaned and defiled. He heals lepers. Okay? He's around people who are blind and demonized and all these things that would make him so the outcast, the unclean, all these things. And Jesus is saying, when I'm coming because I'm the new king, I'm ushering a new kingdom because I fulfill all those requirements for the law. I fulfill all the things for purification because I'm going to be the Lamb of God. Okay? I'm going to fulfill all the things of the temple because I am the temple. And he goes through, and he's saying, I'm bringing in new life. And he's saying this, the new kingdom of God that's full of forgiveness, as we saw last week, and sins being cleansed, and you being legally made right with God, and you be giving the righteousness of God, not on what you've done, but on what someone else has done for you. And you bringing in the joy of the Holy Spirit that he's going to say is coming as I'm going to promise the Father's promise all the way through the Old Testament. He's saying it's going to be like a wedding feast. Folks, in Jesus' day, guess who loved the wedding the most? Because it went on for like a whole week. Can you imagine who loved the wedding the most? It's it's kind of a trick question. Besides the bride and the groom, who loved the wedding feast the most? The answer? The poor. The poor it might be the only time they ever get to a party. It might be the only time they actually have a good meal. It might be the only time ever in their life. Okay? Because how much did they pay for that wedding party? Okay? When I went to the Rebecca Cohn, the Dalhousie, guess how much I paid for the invitation to get in there? Nothing. Now somebody had to pay for all that, didn't they? And this is the good news of the kingdom. As Jesus is saying, I'm the payment because he's the bridegroom. When I went to the wedding, okay, somebody had to pay for the caterer. Somebody had to pay for the band. Somebody had to pay for the auditorium. Someone had to pay for all that. It was free for me. I just got the invite. I went. It was great. What a party. Didn't cost me anything. But it cost somebody something. <laughs> a lot of money. Who paid for it? The bridegroom. The groom paid for it all. And Jesus is saying, in a spiritual way, and he foreshadows the cross there, doesn't he? He says, but I'm not going to be with you. Okay? And then the disciples will fast. And they did. Do you remember? You can read the end and in the book of Acts. They fasted after Jesus had left. And he's pointing towards the cross. 
And he's saying, I, the bridegroom, am going to pay in full for you to enter the kingdom as a guest. And not only as a guest, we get to come as the bride. But that's a whole other sermon. Jesus is going to pay for it with his life. And he's foreshadowing, I'm coming as the bridegroom, and I'm going to pay in full for your forgiveness. I'm going to pay in full for the wrath of God to be not be on you, even though it's rightful. The justice of God's going to be put on me. I'm going to give you my right standing with God. I'm going to bring you into the family of God. I'm going to give you my sonship. I'm going to bring you in, adopt it as sons of the living God. I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. He's going to be your helper and your comforter and your counselor. He's going to be with you always. I'm not going to forsake you. I'm not going to leave you as orphans. And how is this all going to be paid for, Jesus? By me. It's going to be paid in full by my life. By my perfect life being laid down in order for you to receive an invitation that's not going to cost you, in a sense, anything. And our part is this. It's to receive and enjoy. We're allowed to use the word enjoy when we talk about God. Hallelujah. I don't think the Pharisees probably, even though they were keeping all the rules, even they were going through, I don't think the word enjoy was in their vocabulary. Certainly not with God, and probably not with each other. And that's why Jesus was so radically different. Jesus came to say, I enjoy my relationship with my Father in heaven. And that transferred, I can enjoy my relationships here on planet Earth. And we begin to understand our create, what we're created for is actually to enjoy God. Now, to me, that blows, Christ, that blows religiosity out of the water. Because most people, if you were asked them, when they think of religion, the word enjoy is not the first word that comes to mind. Religion's like this, oh, man. Oh, I got to keep these rules. I got to keep these laws. And, oh, man, all that stuff looks so good and tempting and inviting, but I won't do it because God will get mad at me and God will, oh, religion. I can't do this. I can't do that. Oh. And Jesus comes and says, you've missed it. If that's what, that's what religion is. Yeah, you're probably right. That's an accurate description. It's what you do to try to get right with God. But actually, when you receive the invitation, when someone else has paid the price, and you receive, you get to enjoy God. Because you don't have to try to please God to get, him, get right with him. He already loves you. He already likes you. He already wants to be with you. As we said in worship, he already has good things for you out of a motivation of love. Folks, that's a radically different way. So I read the Bible not to get me right with God as another drudgery. Check the box. I read through it. Don't remember anything I read, but I read through it. That's how we can approach reading the Bible. Or we can come and say, God, your word is full of life. I get to know more about you. I get to hear your voice today. What do you want to speak to me? God, I'm coming with these things. And we begin to pray. And prayer isn't something, again, that we have to do. It becomes an enjoyable thing that we get to commune with our God. 
that we get to be filled with his Holy Spirit, that we get to worship God. So it takes it out of duty to delight. So it's a joy to be able to worship God. It's a joy to read his word. It's a joy to be part of the kingdom of God. So folks, Jesus, he calls the unexpected, all right? Jesus has a very unexpected claim. He's the bridegroom. Okay, he's come to pay the price for us to come as his guests for this great kingdom of God. And the last thing we just want to cover very quickly is this really there's a whole unexpected change that comes with obeying Jesus. And we see Matthew okay, responded to the invitation. Matthew followed Jesus. Now, you understand this is the same Matthew that wrote the book that we're reading right now. Okay, that's the same Matthew. And Matthew's quite um, humble because he doesn't write very much. But if you read his story in the other Gospels, his name's Levi, and they change it to Matthew. Okay, in the other Gospels, it says this. It says, Matthew left everything to follow Jesus. Matthew's very humble. He doesn't put that in there. He's just like, oh, Matthew just followed Jesus. In the other Gospels, you read this. Matthew left everything to follow Jesus. And Matthew was changed. And look what God did. God took Matthew, who was educated, who was organized, who was good with numbers, all these things, and he used those talents and those skills and those abilities that were corrupt and that were being used for wrong. God changed his heart, and guess what? He used them all for good. Because Matthew gives the most thorough account of Jesus, explaining it to the Jewish people. That's good news for us, isn't it? That God can do the same thing for us. Okay? We can take our talents and our abilities... And some people are really smart at inventing evil and doing wrong. And God can use those same gifts, talents, and abilities for good. There's an unexpected change when we drop things and we follow Jesus. Jesus changes our heart, and from there, everything else changes. We see this as well. Is that when people saw Jesus, it led to a decision. And if you read... Again, I encourage you this week, just read through Matthew 8 and chapter 9. It's just story after story of people who saw Jesus and you had two different responses. You had those who responded by faith. So those who came to Jesus, okay, we're going to read it. You can keep going. The woman had the issue of blood for 12 years. She was like, if I can just touch Jesus, then good chances I'm going to be healed. And that she got all the way through okay Jairus came if Jesus can just come I'm sure he can bring healing okay the friends brought their paralytic friend right to Jesus and Jesus saw their faith faith is the key thing in every one of those stories you'll see it people responded by faith and Lisa had that prophetic word this morning and as she was speaking I was like thank you Lord that is it okay God's provided the elevator he's provided everything do you know elevators are probably like the most expensive part to go into a building okay they're like a whole other thing. And you don't know all the work that goes behind it. You don't even see any of it. You just go on, and what do you do? Bing! And faith is this. Faith is hitting the button. Because you can get on the elevator, but if you don't hit the button, you're not going anywhere. And guess what? Jesus has provided everything for us to be right with God. Jesus has provided everything for us to be forgiven, to be right with God, to have a relationship with God, He's given the Holy Spirit. 
He is the one who stirs your hearts, as Gary said this morning, okay? He's the one who's like the alarm clock going off. You might never have thought of God before. You didn't care about God. And one day, you don't even understand it, but you're drawn. That's God working. He's provided everything. Your response is this. Bing! That's your response, is to say yes to what Jesus has done for you. You might not fully understand it. The elevator still works. Okay, I'm not an engineer. I don't understand how it works, but it works. And you learn more as you go along. And there's all kinds of people who saw Jesus. They saw the miracles. Okay, they witnessed it. And guess what? No bing. Some of them were scared, it says. You remember when Jesus cast out the demons? They went in the pigs. Pigs went in the lake. What a weird story, man. And what did the people do? They went back. Two guys are healed. They're set free. They're like living out in the cemetery, you know, chained and all that. People wouldn't go near them. Forget that. We're worried about the pigs, Jesus. Please go. That's, that's what they, they came out to Jesus and said, please go away. And folks, that's just because their time's going. This is the crux of the issue, is this. As Jesus says, it's an interesting phrase. Why did he add the whole wineskin thing into this? It always kind of confuses me. But I think more and more, Jesus is saying, I've come as the king, and I haven't come just to add a little patch onto the Jewish sort of uh, religion, to add another thing to it. I've come to fulfill it, and I've got a whole new wineskin, because referring the Holy Spirit's coming, all those things. And folks, I think if I can stretch it maybe just a little bit more, say this, when we respond to Jesus, okay, it can be tempting to add Jesus onto a whole bunch of other patches into our life. And we can think, well, you know what? I look at my life, and man, I've got a financial advisor, so I'm kind of covered there. I've got a personal trainer, okay, I'm going to yoga, so I've got that one kind of covered. I've got a dietitian, so I've got that covered, and I've got a life coach, so I've kind of got that covered. You know what? I'm not very spiritual, so I'll add a spiritual part to my life. And so Jesus seemed to taught a lot of good things, so I'll add Jesus to all these other things. And we put another patch onto our lives, and now we can say, well, now I attend church, so I've kind of got all the bases covered. And Jesus is saying, if you're going to follow me, you're not adding a patch onto all the other things. You're going to need a whole new wineskin. Your life is going to be radically changed. And that's why people didn't respond to Jesus. The two guys who were demonized, they changed. And people were like, whoo, <laughs> that's pretty cool to watch, but don't come near me. I want a patch of my life changed. I don't want my whole life changed. Folks, churches can be that way as well, just as an aside. Okay? New wine, old wine skin. And some churches don't change as well to allow Jesus to bring in new things. And in closing, through this whole series, we're trying to recognize, and I encourage you, okay? For those of you here this morning who are still new, understanding all this, come out Wednesday night, please. Okay? For the next five weeks, make it a priority. Come out, hear more about what Christianity is, okay? Because so many people reject Christianity and they don't know what they're rejecting. 
Okay? So if you're going to reject it, at least find out what you're rejecting first. Okay? So just come for five weeks. Okay? Come and hear Marcel on Wednesday night. Just come Wednesday night just to get started. Okay? Invite your friends, folks. Okay? It's a great opportunity. Again, just say, just come out Wednesday night. Just come to the first one. That's all you've got to do. We'll worry about week two after week one. If that's a stumbling block. Come and find out who Jesus is, his claims, his character, all those things. And then there's some decisions to be made. And the good news is this. Jesus has come to radically change everything. And yes, that's scary. It's exciting, but it's also scary because it affects the core of who you are and it affects your attitudes and your values. It'll affect your bank account. It'll affect your whole future. It'll affect your eternity. And this morning, as Jesus did, he calls people again today. He says, come and follow me. And folks, you might not understand it all, but there might just be enough for you to go, bing, I'm on the elevator and we're moving. I don't know where it's taking me, but I've hit the button and hold on because here we go. And folks, that will be the best decision you'll ever make in your whole life. Let me just lead us in a prayer, okay, as our time's gone. Father in heaven, we thank you again this morning for your son, Jesus. We thank you that you sent him, okay? You sent him to save us and to redeem your people from sin and to bring us back into relationship with you, to be restored, and that you came to us to follow a new way, a new king with a new kingdom. And Jesus, I pray today, you're still saving people today, you're still calling people to follow you. Lord, I pray today for those who are here this morning, Lord, who maybe are just in that place of decision, God, who are trying to decide, what do I do with this Jesus? God, I pray by the power of your Holy Spirit, you'd reveal Jesus even more as Savior and King. God, I pray that people would be prompted by your Holy Spirit to respond and say yes to following Jesus. Father, we pray, Lord, I pray for this course, Lord. I pray this Wednesday night, Lord, would you draw people to come and hear more about exploring Christianity, Lord. We pray, Lord, speak through Marcel, speak through Adam, God, speak through every aspect of, Lord, these five weeks. Lord, I pray for those of us who, along the way, have hit the button, who've said yes to Jesus. God, I pray that, Lord, you would increase our faith. Lord, we don't want to be religious. Lord, we don't want to judge others in the wrong way. God, we want to see with your eyes. God, we want to go where you want us to go. So Lord, give us that courage, we pray, in every way to say yes to you immediately. We pray, Jesus, for your glory, for our good. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.